Part One, Chapter Two of the Uttermost Star. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devora Allen. The Uttermost Star and Other Gleams of Fancy, by Frank W. Borum. The Uttermost Star. One. I have been on a visit to the uttermost star. You will search all your learned astronomical volumes in vain for any reference to such a sphere. No observatory has descried it. It never swam into the field of even the most powerful telescope. The fact is that I discovered it myself. I was longing one day for a bird's-eye view of the universe. You do not get a satisfactory conception of the architecture of a cathedral by attending evening worship. You must see the glorious structure in the daytime and from a distance. Similarly, you do not know the universe till you have seen it from afar. You cannot see things in their right perspective. A sparrow on a housetop looks as big as a star in the sky. If, I said to myself that morning, if only I could get right away from all the worlds, and if only I could view the universe from some point out beyond the universe, I should be able to compile a new standard of values. The little things that seem large because they are so near at hand will all vanish, and I shall know what those things are that still stand bravely out when everything else is lost in the infinite distance. And so I set out on my breathless flight. I cannot tell you how far I went. In a second or two I lost sight of the houses and the trees. In another, I could no longer distinguish between the mountains and the plains. When next I glanced over my shoulder, the sea and the dry land were all as one. I could not tell where the one ended and the other began, and a moment later I had some difficulty in identifying the earth at all. I left the sun and the moon behind me before I paused for the first time, and I paused many and many a time before I reached my journey's end. At last the space before me was one vast unbroken void. All the whirling globes were circling behind me. I went on and on, day after day, through nothing but one boundless and terrific wilderness of solitude. And then, just as I was thinking of taking my observations and returning, I found a new world. It was a lonely little world, a kind of astral outpost, the ultima thule of all the stellar systems. There it hung, poised in space, on the fringe of a vacant infinity, and there I paused. From the shores of this prodigal planet I surveyed the distant universe. There was something weirdly fantastic in seeing that universe, not as my dwelling-place enfolding me, but as a remote object on a far horizon. And what could I see of it? What were the things that stood clearly out, now that all the details were obscured? Of all the myriad things that confused my sight when I dwelt upon the earth, I could now see clearly only two things. I had a vision of wondrous harmony. All things kept their course in perfect and glorious unity. There was no clash, no confusion, no discord anywhere. This surely was what the patriarch meant when he said that the morning stars sang together. This surely was what the poet meant when he wrote of the music of the spheres. 
out here, on the shores of the uttermost star, I was listening to the melodies of the universe, the song of the morning stars, the music of the spheres. And I had a vision of wondrous light. The only other thing that I could see was that the universe was luminous. Some of the worlds I had noticed in passing were blazing in appalling splendors of their own. Others were dead and cold, yet reflecting in their very barrenness the fierce glare that fell upon them from their brilliant neighbors. But at this distance I could not distinguish between the worlds that shone with a borrowed radiance and those that flamed with a luster of their own. All that I could see was that the universe was all alight. Every world twinkled, glittered, burned, and shone. Harmony, perfect, ceaseless, unbroken. Light, soft, resplendent, beautiful. These were the only things that were still discernible as I surveyed the universe from this lonely outpost. These, therefore, are the two greatest things upon it. 2. I have been on a visit to the Orient, and one memorable afternoon, when the sky was a vault of cloudless blue and all the earth was fair, I found myself wandering aimlessly but joyously among the soft, green Syrian hills. I sat down on the side of a grassy knoll and feasted my eyes on the quiet beauty of this idyllic scene. Not many yards below me, a little stream flowed gently past the foot of the sloping hillside and meandered through the silent valley. There was no laughter in its waters. They moved slowly and peacefully on. Reeds and rushes grew plentifully along its banks. All at once I realized that I was not alone. I heard first the bleeding of sheep, and then, a little later, human footsteps. A shepherd came round the curve of the knoll, sauntering slowly with his flock following at his heels. He was leading them down through the green pastures to the still waters. He did not notice me. His attention seemed to be fastened on the reeds flourishing beside the stream. When he reached them, he began to look about, examining them with a critical eye. One, a tall one, was bent and drooped towards him. The sheep may have broken it in browsing there the day before, or perhaps a gust of wind had caught it. Anyway, it was broken. With a rough hand he snatched at it, looked it up and down disdainfully, doubled it at the point at which it was damaged before, and tossed it out onto the gently moving waters. Then he cut for himself another reed, a sturdier one, without flaw or fault of any kind. And as he led his flock gently along the banks of the stream, watching the poor broken reed floating away on a sluggish current, he worked away with deft and practiced fingers, and out of the faultless reed he fashioned for himself a flute. And when it was finished, he put it to his lips, and lo, the sweet, clear music filled all that peaceful valley. Harmony. It was a vision of harmony. When he paused to take breath and to look around upon his flock, I rose and approached him. Until then he had been unconscious of my presence. I sat sometimes talking with him, and sometimes listening to the soft, sweet strains of his flute, until the approach of sunset reminded us that it was time to be moving. I walked with him up to the fold. The sheep appeared to resent my presence, and did not follow so closely at his heels as on their way down the valley earlier in the day. 
I watched him as he counted them and secured them for the night. And then he took me to his shepherd hut some distance up the hillside. It was dusk by the time we reached it. He took down a lamp from the shelf and lit it. It was an odd little lamp, shaped like a tiny urn, and the wick protruded from the spout. It smoked horribly. He had gone to the back of the hut for some sticks with which to light his fire. When he returned and found the place reeking with the evil odor of the smoke, he was angry with the lamp, and lighting another, he blew this one out and flung it unceremoniously back to the shelf. The second lamp burned beautifully. The fire blazed up, and all the room was bright. Light. It was a vision of light. After a while, the shepherd walked with me up the valley to my temporary home. It was a glorious starlit night, such a night as only the Orient knows. I bade him good night at the door, and we parted. He went back to his hut and to his fold. I, tired out, went straight to bed. And that night I dreamed. I dreamed of the broken reed, crushed and crumpled in the shepherd's hands, that I had seen floating away on the stream. And I dreamed of the lamp, the smoking lamp, extinguished so ruthlessly by the shepherd's hand, that I had seen thrown in disdain back to the shelf. 3. I have been on a visit to the land of long ago. In a trice I crossed well-nigh thirty centuries. I found myself in old Jerusalem, and near the beautiful gate of the temple I saw a crowd gathered together, and with wild seraphic fire a prophet was addressing them. He is coming, he cried. He is coming. The king is coming. The redeemer is coming. The messiah is coming. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking lamp shall he not quench. I was so startled that I hurried back across the centuries and sat down in this quiet study of mine to think. A bruised reed shall he not break. I thought of the reed, crumpled in the shepherd's hand, that I had seen floating on that Syrian stream. A smoking lamp shall he not quench. I thought of the lamp, tossed in contempt upon the shepherd's shelf. What could it mean? What could it mean? 4. And then I saw what it all meant. The shepherd's way is the easy way. He snatches at the bruised reed, crushes it, and tosses it away onto the moving waters. And he takes another that has never been bruised, and from it he draws his melodies. He flings the smoking lamp back to the shelf, and takes a new and faultless one, and from it he gets the light that fills his home with brightness. Anybody could do that. But the good shepherd of whom the prophet speaks takes the hard way. With infinite pity and infinite patience, he works away at the bruised reed until from it he woos the eternal harmonies. With infinite pity and infinite patience, he trims and cleans the smoking lamp until from it he draws the light that never was on sea or shore. The bruised reed. The bruised reed represents the things that have never been of any use, the things that are marred in the making. From the bruised reed he gets his choicest harmony. The smoking lamp. The smoking lamp represents the things that have been useful, but have lost the usefulness they had. Once luminous, they have become loathsome, 
once shining, they now smoke. From the smoking lamp he gets his clearest light. From the bruised reed, harmony. From the smoking lamp, light. And harmony and light, as I saw from the shores of the uttermost star, are the two greatest things in the universe. End of Part 1, Chapter 2